Welcome to the latest episode of Schneps Connects. Today, we're going to be talking about structural barriers in the U.S. that have really created a profound racial inequalities, which honestly have been made worse by the pandemic. Companies like J.P. Morgan Chase, which is a leading financial services firm based here in the U.S., they have $3.7 trillion in assets and $292 billion in stockholders' equity as of the end of last year, 2022. And they're committed to helping close the racial wealth gap and driving economic inclusion by providing more opportunities for home ownership, increasing access to affordable housing, growing small business, and bolstering financial health for Black, Hispanic, and Latino communities across the nation. J.P. Morgan Chase is using its resources and expertise to address some of the city's most pressing social and environmental challenges. Today, we have with us Janique Drusis, who's their Senior Program Officer for Global Philanthropy, Northeast Head of Global Philanthropy at J.P. Morgan Chase, and a global leader in corporate philanthropy here to talk about all this. Prior to joining J.P. Morgan Chase, a former business owner, designed, launched, and led resident business development efforts at the New York City Housing Authority, providing access to business building services to over 600,000 people. Janique has also held management positions in operations, strategic marketing, finance, and business development at Verizon, Mercedes-Benz, and American Express. And she taught entrepreneurship and marketing in the City University of New York system. Not to mention, she's a Wharton Business School graduate with a dual degree in marketing and entrepreneurial management. Janique also holds a Bachelor of Electric Engineering from the Georgia Institute of Technology. She's a member of the Delta Sigma Theta Sorority. She lives on Long Island with her husband. She's on the board of Invest Newark and is a co-chair of the Long Island Racial Equity Donor Collaborative and the Asset Funders Network Greater New York Chapter. She's also a Coro Leadership New York alum. I mean, it goes on and on. I love it. Today, Janique will tell us more about J.P. Morgan Chase's corporate responsibility work and the $30 billion racial equity commitment. So Janique, that was a nice intro. I mean, it's really incredible, your background. You work with some amazing companies. You have a terrific initiative at, at one of uh, the, the United States top corporations and, and really want to thank you for being here. Thanks so much, Josh. I really am looking forward to this conversation and chatting with you. So please tell us about your background and what brings you to this work in global philanthropy at J.P. Morgan Chase. Well, so I think my background for global philanthropy is, is somewhat non-traditional. This is not a position that I ever thought that I would find myself in or even something that I think I even knew existed when I started my career. As you mentioned, I'm a trained electrical engineer from Georgia Tech. I thought that's what I was going to be doing. Then I realized that I'm a little bit more of a people person <laughs> and, um, you know, lab work or, or drawing blueprints was just not my thing. But I did start my career in telecom. And then after a brief stint in the music industry, I went on to business school where I fell in love with marketing and entrepreneurial management. Um, I think I, I had the entrepreneurial bug from like back in high school when I was a part of the Young Entrepreneurs Program at Columbia University. So it's something that never left me and I, I really wanted to explore it. You know, through all of this, you know, I learned a lot. And, you know, something interesting started to happen once I graduated from business school. 
there were a number of business owners who started coming to me for advice. And I found that to be strange because I didn't have a business at the time, though I had had several companies, not anything of note that um, I had started with like friends, like we even started a moving company in business school. I'll never do that again. <laughs> what I learned is that you never start a business that you are not passionate about because yeah. it's just way too much work to do, especially when, you know, you're not interested in whether or not the truck gets there on time to pick, pick up somebody's furniture. Like that just wasn't me. And so when these individuals kept coming to me and asking me for help with their businesses, something made me stop and go like, wait, why are you coming to me? Why are you asking me for help? And, you know, some of these businesses were making more money than I was making in my salary. And they were like, because you give really good advice. And I was just like, okay. But, you know, at the time I was like, I don't report to Kim Chanel. Like, shouldn't you be on to somebody else? They were like, no, no, no. We want to go to you. Like, we know what we're doing. And so I started to listen to that. And I was just like, you know what, maybe there's something here that I should explore. And I started to explore it and, you know, put together a curriculum really to get my life back because I was working full time and I was helping a number of business owners. And so the ones that um, had the smaller businesses, I was like, I'm just going to put you guys all in the class that I paid for. Mm. on a Saturday and teach you everything that I know so that oh. I could get back to living my life and, you know, have a bit of a social life. And so I did that and I fell in love with it. I enjoyed it tremendously. Their businesses started to grow. Other people started to walk into the class. And mm. then I said, you know what, maybe I should listen to what I'm telling them to do because something's happening here. Yeah. And after just kind of evaluating it, I decided to leave my corporate job and start a company. So I started a company to help small and mid-sized businesses grow and scale by providing education and consulting services. Where That's what I was doing. This was, was uh, this was in New York City. This is my hometown. This is, wow. you know, where I was from. I was here. And this is where, you know, the base was. Mm -hmm. So I started doing that. But then very quickly, I had the desire to do it in low and moderate income communities. Mm -hmm. Growing up in New York City, you know, you have an opportunity to interface with, you know, people from all different types of backgrounds and cultures. And one thing that just continued to, I guess, like gnaw at me, especially after um, the earthquake that happened in Haiti, I think that was back in 2011. When I was there, I was just like, this is interesting. I was like, this is such an entrepreneurial community, but there's no money exchanging hands. Like I saw the barter system in action. And for wow. an MBA, like that was just like, I was blown away. I was just like, oh my gosh. I was like, wait, they're doing business, but this is the barter system. I've never seen this, right? You know, came back home and I was just like, wait a minute, we have our own third world right in our backyard. Yeah. And I was looking at the New York City Housing Authority at the time, and I tried to approach them as a client. And I was just like, you know what? I was like, I think, you know, your residents should be starting and growing businesses. Actually, I think they already have businesses. It's just not operating at scale because, you know, they need some resources in order to do that. And I learned all about the RFP process and they told me that they couldn't work with me without doing an RFP. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's not fair because I'm bringing you the idea. Right. And they said, well, we have an idea. Why don't you come in house and do it? And I was just like, well, I'm not looking for a job. And so we went back and forth and then I paid myself to work at the New York City Housing Authority. Right, right. So I took a fake cut. Well, I, um, I reached out to a mentor of mine and he basically told me, 
that if I didn't take the opportunity that I'd be a hypocrite because this is what I said I wanted to do. And I was like, well, I think you kind of have a point there. Mm. And it was actually the best decision ever because I did not know what I did not know. You know, I was armed with my business school background thinking that I knew everything, but it was really theory, right? It wasn't until you get in there and you sit down with people face to face and you understand that, you know, it's not just a business challenge. There are structural challenges that also need to be overcome. There are structural hurdles that very talented people face that inhibit their ability to just really maximize the value of their talents. And this is what I came face to face with, you know, when I went in house and I worked with nature. I mean, I never cried so much at a job. I used to leave the building just like, oh my gosh, like I've never seen anything like this. This is amazing. You know, there were sad tears and there were also happy tears because it was amazing at what some people were able to do with nothing. Mm. You know, it was just like, oh my gosh, like I know people who graduated from the best business schools in the world that cannot do what you have done or who have tried to do what you have done and have failed, right? Because business school doesn't teach you how to run a business. Well, it teaches you how to manage a business. It doesn't teach you how to like start and grow a business. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you're doing this with nothing. You're taking $200 and you're turning it into $2,000. That is amazing. I don't know how you're able to do that, but like, that is amazing. Mm -hmm. And all you need is, you know, some resources. You need access to additional customers. You need access to, you know, capital. You need the fuel to inject into your business to cause it to grow. If you have a car and it has no gas, then it's not going to go anywhere. That's what the system needed. Like they had no gas. And so, you know, in that, I call it my learning lab. I call it my PhD in economic development. Interesting. I had the opportunity just to work with people and survey people and survey the entire population and figured out not what I thought that they should do, but what they wanted to do. Mm. And then had an opportunity to earn their trust and, and get an understanding for like what was holding, you know, them back. And just, you know, by the nature of, of what I look like, for your viewers who are listening to this, like I am an African-American woman. I was able to kind of bridge the gap and, you know, come out of my corporate sphere and just, you know, just really talk real talk. Hmm. Because when I asked who had a business, nobody raised their hand. When I asked who had a hustle, everybody's hand went up and I was just like, okay, now let's talk about your hustle, right? Mm -hmm. And it was amazing, just the the ingenuity, you know, that in those communities. And it it just really reminded me of, you know, a Bible verse that it says, I think it's like Proverbs 13, 23, it says there's abundant food, like in, in the fallow ground of the poor, it's just uncultivated, but injustice sweeps it away. And I was like, how do I return justice to this Mm -hmm. community? You know, and in doing that, you know, just trying to figure out a model that would work for this community, we realized that it was just a matter of like $2,500 that were keeping like food entrepreneurs from professionalizing their businesses so they they can really grow and scale them. Hmm. And so worked with the city of New York to provide grants in that amount to support these individuals to actually get the support that they needed so that they can then help themselves. We tell people to help themselves, but we don't give them what they need in order to help themselves. Sometimes you need a little push. And especially when you come from a low wealth community or a low income community that has been systemically, you know, discriminated against 
for as long as this country has has been around, you know, we have responsibility to do something different. $2,500 can make a difference. $2,500. And we saw people going from like cooking in their homes to selling in Whole Foods. Wow. It wasn't that they were lazy. It's just that they couldn't comply with the law because they didn't have the startup capital that was needed. Stuff like probably getting insurance. Basic stuff. And when you're using this business as like a way just to like eke a living, you can't save the $2,500. So it was just understanding that and then understanding the fear that, you know, gripped individuals in this community, fear of losing their housing because they were doing what they needed to get by in order to, you know, make a living and, you know, just different things like the lease said that you couldn't own a business and we had to get that changed. Like, that's not okay. Yes, you can own a business. So again, structural challenges that prevent people from accessing opportunity. And in that position, I became a grantee of J.P. Morgan Chase. So J.P. Morgan Chase funded some of the programs. And in looking for, you know, a new opportunity after we built up that system and it was running and we went from food services to childcare. And now I think they're doing construction, looking for new opportunity. And this role provided an opportunity to do what I was doing there on a greater scale, to take the lessons that I learned there and my PhD on economic development and share that information with others who wouldn't necessarily have that same opportunity to work with that community as closely as I was able to work with that community. And so that's kind of what led me to global philanthropy of J.P. Morgan Chase. Well, I have to tell you, I mean, I love your story. It seems like, you know, it was so organic how you kind of evolved into these different careers and, you know, really looking to make a change. And I commend you for that. But I wouldn't be surprised people calling you for business advice after going to Wharton School of Business. I mean, that's the best school there is for business schools. That's really incredible. Let's talk about your current role. What kind of impact and change do you really hope to see from the work that you're now doing? So I guess the easiest way to put it, I want to shrink the racial wealth gap. Just like people at NYCHA were locked out of access to opportunity just because they couldn't access $2,500, that's steeped in the racial wealth gap. Certain communities were prevented from building wealth over time because of structural policies that were put in place. One of those policies was redlining. And they were prevented from buying a house so that they weren't able to generate equity in that house. So now their descendants don't have the equity from a house that they can then use to invest in the business. That has been documented in deeds in areas that are just, what, a couple of miles east of New York City. So Levittown was kind of like the first place where redlining took hold. It's in the deed. You could not sell to a Black person. And so they were locked out of access to opportunity to build wealth. And so I want to see the shrinking of the racial wealth gap so that everyone, regardless as to who you are, regardless as to what your background is, has an opportunity to basically use their gifts, talents, and abilities to have the best life that they could possibly have. That's what I hope to do. So why is corporate social responsibility important to you and your organization? That's a really good question. So at J.P. Morgan Chase, we don't call it corporate social responsibility. We call it corporate responsibility because it's just basically our responsibility, right? When the communities that we operate and thrive, we thrive as a business. That's just how it works. But why is it important to me here 
this is America's largest bank. This platform is amazing. People listen to me because I'm affiliated with J.P. Morgan Chase in a way that they would not have listened to me if it was just me screaming on, you know, the corner of 42nd and 8th saying, listen to me, like I have some answers or whatever have you. But this actually, you know, the bank gives us access to budgets that we can then invest in communities to support the, you know, the development of innovations that really help to drive equity, that really make a difference or that can make a difference in helping individuals to get the access to the resources that they need to be able to direct their financial lives. And so I really see this as a platform to seed innovation and to take risks that a business itself necessarily wouldn't take because they don't understand or the outcome isn't sure. But with philanthropic dollars, you can invest in that because you're not necessarily looking for a financial return on investment. You're looking for lessons learned. You're looking for a social return on investment. And if a financial return on investment comes with that, so be it, but that's not your driver. And so we're able to invest in innovative ideas and to help to tweak them over time so that they can drive a real impact. And then those impacts can be scaled by, you know, for-profit companies to really help individuals to change their lives. And that results in like true systems change. You know, you talked about home ownership, which I think, you know, is so critical when you think about kind of multi-generational wealth or what is someone's like number one asset, typically, you know, the home. What are some of your organization's specific CSR goals and what social impact do you hope to accomplish? So this is, I think, the beautiful thing about J.P. Morgan Chase at this point in time. And I'm not just saying that, but since I've been here over six and a half years, I've seen this firm go through an evolution. I came here, I told you, because it provided a bigger platform. But in addition to that, the values of the corporate responsibility group at that time were in line with my values. I never thought, I mean, I grew up in New York City, so grew up right by Wall Street. My mother worked on Wall Street, like I came from a Wall Street family. I never thought that I would see a financial institution, a Wall Street bank, supporting something called an Entrepreneurs of Color Fund or an African-American loan fund. And that made me pause. I was like, what's happening over at J.P. Morgan Chase? And this was back in 2016. And when I started to explore and I found the team that was here, I was like, these people are amazing. Like in the global philanthropy team, there were subject matter experts in small business, in affordable housing, in financial health, in workforce development, all working to affect systems change. I was like, this is amazing. What can I learn from these people? And so came here. And and what's been amazing is that over time, I've seen that seep into the corporation as a whole. And so when we talk about corporate responsibility, corporate responsibility at JPMorgan Chase just isn't relegated to a department. It is now just the way that we do business. And so, you know, just going to the $30 billion racial equity commitment for a second, and I was part of the team that, that worked in pulling that together, that $30 billion isn't philanthropic in nature. $2 billion of the $30 billion is philanthropic in nature, which represents just a little bit more than what we were doing philanthropically anyway. The other $28 billion is led by the business. It's about changing the way that we do business. And so that corporate responsibility has 
permeated throughout the business. And we've launched things like Advancing Black Pathways, Advancing Hispanic and, and Latinos. We've done things for the Asian Pacific Islander community, focused on those three communities to help them build businesses, you know, advance in their careers, um, become more financially healthy. We've done a lot of work with the veterans. We've done a lot of work with the LGBTQ plus community. So really working with marginalized communities to ensure that there is inclusive economic growth, to ensure that everyone has what they need to thrive financially. And so we now have pillars of impact for the firm that mimic the pillars of impact that were only in corporate responsibility when I started. And so corporate responsibility, I think, has taken on a new meaning here. And it really is just the way that we do business. Well, I'm happy to hear that. And, you know, I, I hear the passion in your voice in terms of being able to help people and, and having that type of funds available is quite incredible. So I guess the big question, especially for people listening is how do they engage in this and plug into this amazing work that J.P. Morgan Chase is putting forth? So I think there are a number of different ways um, that you can plug in. Um, I think first you can go to our website. If you go to, I think it's jpmorganchase.com slash impact. That's kind of like the starting point where you can access everything, whether it be philanthropy, whether it be um, home ownership, like you mentioned. And we have a number of home ownership projects and a number of things that we're working on to really make home ownership more accessible, whether it be getting free help to support your business, whether it be getting free access to financial literacy training. So, and you can also just go to a bank branch because one of the things that um, we have been working on since 2019, when we launched the first community branch in Harlem, and we've been replicating this across the country, is really bringing this into community. And so making it within reach of a community. So if you go to your branch, you can get connected to many of these programs. And then in New York City, if you want to get connected to like some of our grantee partners, really we work with a number of grantees across New York City. Nonprofits in New York City are like nowhere else. They are doing amazing work. They are on the cutting edge. CDFIs provide capital to businesses in a way that banks can't. There are just a number of institutions that, that you can tap into. Well, you know, living and working in the most diverse place on planet Earth, I say New York City is, it's exciting to know that that's really available for people that need it. It is. Being in New York City, New Yorkers are extremely lucky because the resources that we have in the city don't exist right outside of the borders of the city. So there is a rich network of nonprofit organizations that can support you, whether you're looking for housing, whether you're looking to run a small business, whether you are looking to improve your financial health. I mean, New York City itself provides free access to financial um, counseling if you just dial 311. Right. These are just things that New Yorkers don't know. I mean, there are a number of workforce development organizations. There are so many resources here in the city that you can tap into that are supported by philanthropic organizations, corporations, the city of New York itself. So please take advantage of it. We're just happy to do our part. Well, Janique, it's really been a pleasure having you on Schneps Connects and really getting to know you and your work better. Thanks so much. Thank you. Make sure to subscribe to Schneps Connects wherever you get your podcasts or stream us online at podcast.schnepsmedia.com. 